Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Well, this is week four in our series called Rebuild and Restore. Uh, I hope I'm not uh, trading in my man card this morning when I say this, but back in the old days when we had cable at our house, more than once Megan would catch me watching a certain channel that I normally don't watch, but I kind of became addicted to it. It was HGTV. Are there any men in the room who are man enough to admit that you've watched some age? Amen. Hallelujah. I see those hands. So I'm not as... All right. I love watching... Uh, Confession's good for the soul. I love watching, especially my favorite shows on HGTV were when particular people would take something, an old house that was broken down, and they would rebuild it and restore it into something that was... It wasn't like new. It was actually better than new. And no matter how many times I've watched those, I always want to see them do it one more time. I want to see them restore one more thing, rebuild one more thing. Can I tell you, God is in the rebuilding and the restoring building. And no matter how many times he's rebuilt and restored our life, I believe he still finds joy in doing it one more time. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when one lost person comes home. So we're talking about rebuilding and restoring in chapter 1 of Nehemiah, we're walking through the book of Nehemiah. If you missed a week or two, if you want to catch up with us, just go home today and read the book of Nehemiah. You'll be caught up. The first week was chapter 1. We talked about how Nehemiah discovered that his hometown, Jerusalem, though he lived 800 miles away from it, he'd possibly never even been there in his whole entire lifetime. He just heard about it. But he heard that his hometown, Jerusalem, the walls had been broken down. The walls were not just symbols. They were the actual security of a city. If you didn't have a strong wall around your city, then the enemies could come in and they could plunder you. They could steal from you. They could kill you. They could rob from you. As a matter of fact, Nehemiah is in, is in uh, Persia or Babylon because he has been taken captive because they tore the walls down. He was kidnapped. He was a kidnapped uh, refugee, as you will, uh, being a slave in the king's house. But he heard of what, how bad things were in Jerusalem and it broke his heart. And it didn't just break his heart. He felt God speak to him in that moment. The, the terminology I used in that first week was he had a holy ought. He thought someone ought to do something about this, and the person that ought to do it ought to be me. So he felt the Lord summon him to make a difference. And then in chapter 2, he didn't just have a, an ought to in his spirit. I mean, it's great to know that somebody should do something, but it's something different to do something. Right? There's a difference between sitting on the pew and thinking, man, someone ought to do something than actually getting up out of our chair and doing something for God. In chapter 2, Nehemiah just says, I'm going to be the person that ought to do something. I'm going to do it. He goes, he approaches the king. that could have had him killed. But instead of being killed, he found out that God had gone before him and made a way where it seemed to be impossible. And God had favored Nehemiah. Then last week, Nehemiah, he goes to Jerusalem. He gets there and he discovers that the problem is worse than he could ever imagine. He thought that he knew the issue was big. But he's even bigger. But he discovered that no matter how big his problem was, God was still greater. He believed that. So they began to rebuild the wall and put, put their hands to the wall and began to, to build, restore what was broken, which brings us to chapter 4. We're going to look at verse number 1. It says, When Sanballat, who's not our friend, by the way, heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He, he ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall 
Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring these stones back to life from these heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite who was at his side said, What they are building, even a fox climbing on it would break it down, would break down their walls of stones. Verse number four, here's Nehemiah's response. Here is O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their heads. Give them over as plunder of the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till it reached half of its height, and the people worked with all their heart. We're going to read some more of that chapter later, but let's just take a moment right now and pray. God, we love you. We thank you for the word you have for us today. I thank you for every person within the sound of my voice, whether in the room, watching online, or listening to a podcast perhaps weeks or months from now, I pray that you will let the Word of God work. Let it divide fact from fiction. Let it divide truth from hearsay. And God, I pray that it will, the Word of God will work in our hearts this morning. Anoint me today to speak my own word, the words of God and not my own words. Help me to speak what you once said, and we'll give you thanks for it. Everybody in the room said amen. I want to talk to you real quickly this morning. I'm not sure if you saw the title slide or not. The title is this, Facing Opposition. How many in this room have ever faced some opposition? If you're going to do something for God, you're going to face opposition. You're going to live for God. You're going to give your heart to God, and you're going to decide, hey, like Joshua did, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That in itself will bring opposition to your life. Nehemiah does not go very far before they start building, before he discovers opposition. In the New Testament, you can discover that even Jesus, his life was met with opposition over and over and over again. There are some people that are convinced that if I'm following Jesus, and if I'm in the will of God, the road will be paved the weather will be perfect, and people will cheer me on as I run by. That if the road is hard, it must not be the will of God. I want to push against that thought this morning. Oftentimes, the will of God is hard. I love how you're shouting this morning. Often the will of God takes determination. It takes grit. It takes fighting against those that are around you. I like what the, that the Scottish churchman of years ago said, that faith without trouble or fighting is a suspicious faith. If your faith never brings you problem, if your faith never causes you to go against the stream of our culture today, then I am very suspicious of that faith. Because the, 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 the churchman says that faith itself is fighting and wrestling. Years ago, about 20 years ago, I was listening to Rick Warren in an interview, and someone asked him, they said, Pastor Rick, what's it like to pastor a church? And, you know, 15 years ago, I was just kind of getting started pastoring. And this was his answer. He said, well, it's wonderful. I wake up every morning realizing that 20% of my church is upset with me. And I just remember thinking, noted. But Rick taught me, just because you're doing something great doesn't mean that there's not opposition. And somebody in the room or watching online today might be thinking, well, 
if obedience to God always brings opposition, then why should I ever obey God? I mean, if you're telling me that if I obey God, that, that all of hell is going to come against me and the decision I made and what I'm going after for God, if I make a choice to follow Jesus, if you're telling me the minute I make that decision that the enemy is going to unleash the not demonic activity to try to knock me off that path, why on earth would I ever decide to follow or serve God? I'll give you two reasons. Number one, the Bible still says that the way of the transgressor is hard. So no matter how hard it is to follow Jesus, in the long term, not following him will always be harder. If not following Jesus doesn't, if following Jesus doesn't seem attraction, attractive to you, then all that means is you are being short-sighted in the moment. Because in the long run, the way of the transgressor, the person that doesn't follow Jesus is harder. But here's the second thing, why you should obey, even when it seems like it's only going to bring opposition. It's because there's something on the other side. Would you just turn to somebody, you may not even know who's sitting next to you, you just tell them there's something on the other side. Turn the other way, tell another stranger, there's something on the other side. There is something on the other side of serving Jesus, and that thing that's on the other side is fulfillment, is peace, is joy, is the Spirit of God working in you, accomplishing more than you ever thought was possible. That's why we got to serve God even through opposition. So today I want to talk to you about how you can face opposition that comes to your life. Now listen, if the opposition in your life comes from you being a jerk, This isn't going to help. Okay? But if the opposition is because you're trying to follow God, and yet the enemy still attacks, then I believe Nehemiah has some things to help us to rebuild and restore our lives, even in the face of opposition. Here's the first thing you got to know. This is just kind of a fact. I hope you get through your heart this morning, is that obedience to God attracts opposition. I wish it wasn't so, but it is. Sanballat was angry when he heard the progress that God's people were making. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but not everyone in your life will be excited when you begin to do and become everything that God's called you to do and everything that God's called you to become. Well, Pastor, why would that be? Well, you know, people who are making their living off your addiction are going to be upset. People that use your life to justify their own mess isn't going to like it. People who used to participate with you will now be convicted about the sin they're still committing. Right? First Peter said, the people that you used to run with, they think it's strange that you no longer indulge in the same activity. But he goes on to say, don't worry about it. They will give an account for themselves, for themselves. People don't always rejoice with when you obey God because your action challenges other people's inaction. Nehemiah did not show up and declare war on Sanballat. He did not show up and say, hey, we are changing our strategy. We're going to rebuild this wall and we're going to take over this land. No, he just showed up to rebuild and restore. But friends, here's the thing. When God begins to rebuild and restore your life in that same moment, he has taken away enemy territory 
from the one that's against you. See, I wish that we could grip this, and I have a hard time myself sometimes comprehending this, is that when I obey God, even in the slightest, smallest command, every time I obey God, the kingdom of God in my life expands. What is it expanding into? It is expanding into enemy that used to into territory that used to be controlled by the enemy. Every time I obey God, well, Pastor, it's just a small thing. I just started giving. I just started serving. I just started loving. I just started witnessing. It was just a small thing. And now the enemy's coming against me. Why is he doing that? Because the minute you obeyed God, the kingdom of God grew and the kingdom of the enemy shrank. And I'm praying, God, at the assembly, let your kingdom come and let your will be done so the kingdom of the enemy has no place here. If you would like to see the kingdom of darkness kicked out of your life and kicked out of your house, how, what you do is you put your biggest boot on, and it's called the Word of God. And you put it into action, and you'll see some more action taking place because the devil will lose his grip on your life. So obedience to God, it brings, it attracts opposition because the minute you obey God, you're dispelling the enemy from your life. You know, Craig Rochelle says it like this. He said, if you're not ready to face opposition for your obedience to God, then you're not ready to be used by God. I want to be used by God. I don't know about you, but I want to be used by God. I want to be used God by God in small ways. I want to be used by God in ways that I can't even imagine yet. So that means I have to understand that if I obey Him, Opposition is going to come. But I'm going to obey him anyway. Because there's something better on the other side of opposition that God has for you. And he has for your family. And he has for our church. And he has it for me too. Number two, when you're facing opposition, you have to refuse to believe the lies of the enemy. Sanballat attacked the people of God. And he didn't attack them in this moment with swords and spears. He didn't attack them with a vast army coming against and taking siege in the, uh, on the city in this moment. He attacks them with words and threats. He begins taunting them. He begins saying, hey, this thing you're going to build, it, it is so feeble, it is so weak, that even if, if a fox ran across the top of it all crumble, it can't stand. What you're building is a waste of time. Do you know why the enemy attacks your life? Do you know why Sinballat attacked Nehemiah's life? It wasn't because Sanballat believed that what they were building was so weak that if a fox ran across it, it would fall down. He didn't tell them, this can never be done. He didn't tell them, hey, this is impossible because he thought it was impossible. 
He lied to them and said, what you're doing is weak, it's insignificant, it'll never last, and it doesn't matter because, not because he didn't believe it, but because he did believe it. Friends, when you hear the voice of the enemy attack you, you should take that as a vote of confidence that God is fulfilling his word in your life today. Amen? See, the enemy is, if there's one thing he's good at, he's a really good liar. So when he tells me that what I'm doing for God doesn't matter and it's not working, then sometimes I just have to lift up my hands and say, thank God, because what I'm doing for him, must be, it must matter and it must be working or the devil would leave me alone. There are several lies you need to dispel. Are these in your notes? Do you have like an A, B, C, or D here? I didn't look at it this morning. Here's A, the task. First lie he'll tell you is a task is impossible. Sam Ballot said they'll never restore this wall. But I'll just remind you what, Jesus, or what the angel said about Jesus in Luke chapter 1, that nothing's impossible with God. Here's the second lie. You're never enough. Nehemiah, in the eyes of humanity, Humanly speaking, Nehemiah is not enough to lead the charge on seeing the city of Jerusalem rebuilt. I mean, he was a, the most glorified image of him was he was a member of the King's Secret Service Agency. The other side of it is he was a slave. He was not a builder. He was not an architect. He was not experienced at, at slinging a hammer or, 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 or driving a nail. He was not, a, he was not a, a equipped for that. But God used him. Next lies this. What you're building will never last. I just want to talk a second to somebody in the room today that maybe you're new to serving God or you're new to putting him first, or you're new to, you're new to in, the, in your kingdom walk, I know the enemy will sometimes tell you things like this. He'll whisper in your ears, and he'll say, you know, eventually you'll go back to your old ways. Eventually you'll make the same mistakes. You know, the honeymoon won't last. These so-called friends will leave you. But friends, here's what I don't know. Philippians says that faithful is he that began a good work in you, for he will finish it every single time. Another lie the enemy tells us is this, what was will never be again. They asked Nehemiah, they taunt him, can you bring these stones back to life? Those heaps of rubble as burnt as they are, will they ever be what they were before? But I want to tell you, we serve a God today who is an expert at bringing dead things back to life. He's an expert at rebuilding and restoring, and your life is no exception. He can rebuild, and he can restore. If you will refuse to lie, that says, what was will never be again. You know, it may not be what it was. It might be better. And here's the last lie the enemy tells. Not the last lie he tells you, but it's the last one I'll talk about. Is he'll say things like, well, you know, if this was the will of God, it would be easier. Listen, the, word of God, the, the will of God is not always easy, but it's always fulfilling. 
And in my very young, young years of life that I've lived, I have yet to hear anyone say, man, I wish I wouldn't have obeyed God. Man, I wish I had done it my way instead of God's way. I've never heard anyone say that. Because even though the will of God may not be easy, it always works. Here's the third thing this morning. You have to fight your doubts in prayer. Why did the enemy come and chant and ridicule Nehemiah and these armies? Why did they come to do this? Well, they came to do it because they wanted everyone who was building on the wall to hear them. They were were trying to sow seeds of doubt. And if you read on down in Scripture, you're going to find out that some of the people on the wall, eventually they heard the words of doubt and they began to own the words of doubt. You might listen to the old childhood song that says, be careful little ears what you hear, right? Because they heard these words of doubt. But instead of choosing to get even, Nehemiah chose to pray. You know, it's been said that you can tell who your faith is in by who you turn to in moments of crisis. And in this moment of crisis, Nehemiah didn't turn back to his enemy. He turned to God in prayer. S.D. Gordon, I love what he says about prayer. Some of you may be thinking, I don't know how to pray. Listen to this formula. He says, prayer is repeating the victor's name, Jesus, in the ears of Satan. And insisting he retreat. We sing the song sometimes. There's power in the name of Jesus. But I want to tell you in case you ever doubted. There is power in the name of Jesus. When it is spoken. You say pastor the the name of Jesus is is so common. And it's something half the time it's used as a cuss word. How powerful can the name of Jesus be? Let me tell you another common name. Daddy. How many daddies are in the room tonight, today? Several, okay? So, very common name. But I can tell you, that's also a powerful name. Because when I hear one of my two girls scream, Daddy, I know by the tone of the voice. Megan's taught me there's a difference between a, a hurt cry and a not really hurt cry. Right? And there's a difference between a kid saying, hey, dad, I need you to come get this toy, and a a scream that says, daddy, I need you. And when I cry, when, when one of my daughters cries out that common name, dad, all of a sudden it registers. That is my child saying my name and their voice. And all of a sudden I respond in a very, very predictable manner because I'm her father. Can I tell you, when you say the name of Jesus, you are not some stranger or foreigner, but you are an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. And when you call out to Him in prayer, He shows up because His child is called on His name. And by the way, that's the same reason the enemy flees. It's not because you're saying Jesus. It's because Jesus is showing up. So you turn to faith. And prayer. Number four, how do I face opposition? You resolve to stay faithful. 
They were insulted. They were taunted. And verse number six, they kept on building. The taunts and the threats didn't go away. And in this, uh, in chapter four of Nehemiah, it's my favorite. It's my favorite chapter because, you know, I, I grew up in church. There's just certain scriptures, if you grew up in church, that when your kid's pastor or whoever read them to you, you got a mental picture. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verse number 16, I got a mental picture of it as a kid. Nehemiah says, from that day forward, they kept on building, but as they built, they had a hammer in one hand. And they had a sword in the other. And they kept building the wall. The enemy was taunting them, but they kept hammering. The building, the building was taunting them, but they kept, kept collecting supplies. They kept going the lows to buy one more ladder, right? They kept on doing what God had put in their heart. And listen, if we're going to serve God in the face of opposition, we've got to learn to walk with a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other. Well, Pastor, what does that mean? I'm going to try not to put a hole in this platform while I do this. Nehemiah had a resolve. The resolve was this. Even if I have to work with a hammer in one hand and a sword in another, I'm going to keep working. Some of you are thinking, Pastor, I don't really like this fighting concept, this war concept. I don't really relate to it. Well, Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that we got to fight the good fight of faith. you got to take hold of eternal life for which you were called to. So he's talking about fighting the fight of faith. I fear today, let me put it to you this way. Why did they have a hammer in their hand? Because they had a job to do. Right? Why did they have a hammer in their hand? Because they had a calling upon their life. Why did they have a sword in their hand? Because they had an enemy. Listen to me, church. Too many Christians... are obsessed with one over the other. If you walk around and your only mantra is about how bad the world is and how this and that and that you're so fixated on what the enemy's doing, you're so threatened by or just overwhelmed by what the enemy's doing. Now you draw that sword and you say, man, it's the church, we got to do this and we got to do that. And you're so overwhelmed with that that you put down the hammer. I got news for you. He just won. Because what, what was his purpose to do? His purpose was to see the wall not get built so that he could keep killing, stealing, and destroying At the same time, 
if you're just going to focus on doing things for God and be, have your head in the sand like a, whatever animal puts their head in the sand. Is it an ostrich? All right. And you forget that there is a real enemy trying to kill what God's promised you. Trying to destroy what God's promised you. And you're so, it's not, it's not one or the other. Does that make sense? They got their sword. By the way, their, their faith wasn't really in the sword. The sword was just a tool that God gave them to hang on to. Because the psalmist said like this, though some may trust in horses and chariots and swords and spears, we're going to trust the name of the Lord. It wasn't one or the other. It's both. It's the hammer and the sword. It's the mission of God and the purpose of God. Also with the awareness that there is an enemy that's trying to kill, steal, and destroy. And so they stood their ground, but they kept working. I want to ask you about your heads this morning. I'm going to talk more about the hammer and the sword this Wednesday, during our, right before our prayer meeting on Wednesday night. If you want to hear the rest of us, you can join us at 7. The last thing that said, Nehemiah said about the hammer and the sword was this. He said they worked with all their might. The people of God were unstoppable because they followed God with all their heart. A hammer in one hand and a sword in the other. I want to ask you a question. Are you facing opposition from the enemy today? Have you taken steps of faith only to find that the enemy is fighting you every step of the way? If so, we're going to do what Nehemiah did. He prayed. And then I'm going to encourage you to pick up the hammer. Keep doing what God called you to do but also pick up the sword simply means to be ready to put a stop to every advance of the enemy no matter how threatening he is don't let his threats keep you from obeying God because what he has for you on the other side of obedience what he has for you on the other side of opposition is worth it's worth it's worth what you're having to fight through today during worship this morning I just felt the Lord kind of dropped a word in my spirit that he wanted me to share today I didn't know when he wanted to share it so I just kind of wrote it down and thought I'll get to it when I need to get to it I just feel like this is the moment so whoever this is for today you can receive it But I believe it's imperative. Here's what the Lord told me, that we recognize that every battle you face, you face from a place of strength. Every enemy you face is a weaker enemy than the God we serve. Every enemy you face is a defeated foe. And so when you battle, you can battle with confidence. Even though opposition is real, God we serve is greater. We say, Pastor, I've been taking steps of faith. I've been trusting God with particular areas of my life. And it feels like the more I trust Him, the more opposition comes my way. 
And I just, I need, I need strength today to keep the hammer in my hand. I need strength today to keep the faith, to keep the sword of the Spirit in my hand, the Word of God in my hand, because I've been facing opposition. Today, I want to pray for you that God will give you the strength you need in this moment that you need it. Would you just lift, lift a hand real quick? That's me, Pastor. Pray for me. Amen. 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 All across this room. Can we stand together all across this room? Let's just stand together this morning. And in just a minute, I'm going to pray for those who lifted their hands. But before, before I said that prayer, would you just lift up your hearts to the Lord? Maybe you want to lift your hands to the Lord all across this room. Let's just worship Him for about 30 seconds before we pray. Let's just welcome the power of God. God, we welcome you and your spirit. God, we understand the victory in our life is not by the words of man applied. It's by the words of God applied to our hearts and our lives today. And so I pray this morning, in just a second as we pray, that God, you will do what only you can do. You will change our lives. You'll give us Holy Spirit direct directions. You'll give us Holy Spirit-empowered strength. You'll give us a God moment right now. God, we just seek you for God moments all across this room. And when people leave this place, God, they leave committed to the work of God but also committed to the Word and the Spirit of God. They got the hammer and the sword. We welcome you, Father. We worship you, Father. So if you lifted your hand, I just want you to be a receiver right now in this moment. Father, I pray. Congregation, if you didn't lift your hand, why don't you just pray with me today? Pray that those who lifted their hands would just sense the help of God. Come on, no spectators in this moment. God, I pray, Lord, you would come to them right now. You would remind them that greater is he that's in them than the one that's in the world. God, they are not fighting this battle from a place of defeat. They're fighting it from a place of victory, which simply remembers that they are not the underdog. They're the overcomer. God, they're not the one who who is, uh, Lord, in short supply. We're the ones that have an endless supply of God's mercy and God's grace and God's strength. So I pray today their life will be flooded with the strength of God and the help, help of God. I pray that their life will be completely rebuilt and restored, not just to what it once was, but beyond what they could ever imagine. And God, I pray that today they will walk out of this room in a few moments with confidence with a hammer in one hand. I'm going to do what God has called me to do, but the sword in the other. I'm going to stand on the word of God and with this word defeat every attacking enemy and stand for him. God, I pray that the people of God will sense the strength and the power of God even now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Last thing I want to say is this: it wasn't a, it wasn't a uh, it wasn't a point in the sermon, but you can you can you can get it right. One thing about it was Nehemiah nor any of those guys on that wall faced the opposition alone. I told someone right before service. They were sharing with me their need about their family, and I said, you know, this is so 
This is so amazing. I just prayed with another family in our church that sits on the other side of the church about the same exact need. In other words, what you're facing, there's other people that are facing it. And God's going to strengthen you and work a miracle in your life so that you can help work a miracle in someone else's life. I believe that today. So, Father, we just welcome your power and your strength in us so it can also be your power and strength through us. So I pray today over this congregation, God, I pray you will bless them. I pray you will keep them. I pray your face will shine upon them. Give them peace and joy both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give the Lord a hand clap for his word today? We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for worshiping with us. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day and God bless.